Tokyo Podcast, and I am your host, Tony. I want to thank you all for joining in, listening this week, and uh, this is the inaugural Gotham to Tokyo Podcast, and I would like to thank you for uh, giving us a chance, and hopefully you listen from here on out. Today, we have a great collection of bands that are coming out of the Tokyo underground scene, plus an interview with a long-time veteran of the Tokyo underground metal and punk scene with some additional things in between so without further ado let's get into our first segment bands of tokyo today's first band to be featured it's going to be one that's coming out of the Tokyo underground indie rock, maybe power pop scene. And that is a band called The Complaints Department. Now, they are a multinational band with uh, one Canadian, two Americans, and two Japanese who perform originals and covers while, quote, drinking lots and lots of beer. So, if you're a fan of American football, quicksand, glass jaw, maybe some early touches of Radiohead, Pixies, Weezer, Foo Fighters. You should definitely check out one of their two records, either 2015's Better Late Than Never, or this year's Everybody's a Critic, released in the spring. This song is called Losing My Mind, and it is off their debut record, Better Late Than Never. This is The Complaints
Again, that was the Complaints Department with Losing My Mind, which you can find on their debut record, Better Late Than Never. The next band that we are going to be talking about is absolutely no stranger to the Tokyo music scene, especially hardcore and metal scenes of the Tokyo area, and that is a band called Everybody's Enemy. The longest-running foreigner-fronted hardcore band in Japan, with nearly 20 years under their belt, the band have amassed quite an impressive following around the world. Noisy, fast, angry, and succinct, their music draws heavily from the 80s and 90s hardcore scene, with the driving drums, crushing guitars, prominently distinct bass, and the aggressive, violent vocals, reminiscent of Bane, Judge, Champion, and more. With nine releases since 2004, they continue to have a lasting impact on the Tokyo hardcore scene, which in recent years has been a major upward boom, with their name often included in the progenitors of the foreigner-fronted world of Japanese hardcore. With their 2011 song, Rain City, off of the album La Noche de los Enemigos, this is Everybody's Enemy. Thank you. 
Again, that was Rain City by Japanese hardcore band Everybody's Enemy. Up next, we have another multinational band coming out of Tokyo. That is Blue Straight. Formed in 2014 by Japanese guitarist and vocalist Kingo, and later joined by Israeli born bassist Coral. Blue Straight are an international punk rock band with influence from both Western and Japanese rock music, such as High Standard, Green Day, Sum 41, Blink 182, and more. Having won Tokyo's 2015 Battle of the Bands, they have amassed a solid following in the Tokyo area with energetic shows. Interesting online presence and lyrics in both Japanese and English. The former official house band of well known live house Koenji Club Missions, Blue Straight is a well known name on the Tokyo circuit and live music scene. Off of their 2019 album Aurora, this is Blue Straight with the song It's Okay.
Again, that was Blue Straight with It's Okay off of their 2019 album, which you can find on Spotify. Up now, we have a very special guest. He is the rhythm guitarist of Tokyo-based black metal band Worship Pain, as well as the founder of Kala, an underground metal and experimental music label here in Tokyo. So Matt, earlier tonight, I was watching your live stream, uh, Corona Nights 4, and uh, really, really curious, just just what is that? If you could just explain what that is and what the idea behind it was and the motivation. Yeah, sure. Um, so kind of to start with, it's, it's a, a, a streaming video series that we've been doing um, for, gosh, I want to say two months, but then that sound makes it sound pathetic that we only have four or something like that. But anyway, um, yeah, so it's a, a, a streaming video series that we started doing about two months ago um, with the intent of <coughs> um, raising money to help support uh, the scene here in Japan, mostly in Tokyo, but you know, we're, we're a nationwide organization. So like if we have opportunities elsewhere and can somehow figure out the logistics of it, we can do that too. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it kind of goes without saying that coronavirus has devastated and truly so like, it's one thing to think about it and like, Oh wow. That business that is a music venue, like the way that they make money is completely gone. That sucks for them. Um, it's one thing to think that, and it's another thing entirely to actually go to the venues and speak with the owners and, and do all this stuff. Like they are, I mean, I've I've never really seen anything like it. Um, so yeah, we've been streaming these videos to raise some money. Um, you know, honestly speaking, like it's kind of a drop in the bucket at this point. Um, thus far, we're not raising too much. Usually around two three hundred dollars per screen, per stream. Um, it's better than nothing, um, but like this is all super new. Like the technology itself isn't super new, but Japan's like so ass backwards when it comes to adopting technology that nobody's ever, re especially in the scenes that we work in with you know metal and experimental underground stuff. Um, it's always been really, really, really analog. Um, and so kind of my getting getting bands, venues, and audiences alike. Uh, migrate, kind of like accept and migrate over to a completely different method of consuming. And I don't really like that word, but you know, of experiencing the music and stuff is going to be a slow process. Like, there's, I don't think there's really any, any, any kind of way around that. Um, but yeah, so that's is, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, yeah. So we've talked a little bit about like the idea. So I was just wondering. You know, what's the production side? How is it made? What goes into making it get done? And how do you get it up and running for everyone to watch? Right. I mean, it's, if, if you're into logistics and stuff, this is all actually mega interesting. Um, it's such a pain in the ass. Um, so right now, like we started doing all this stuff like real quick and dirty because we had to do something and didn't want to wait around for, you know, the perfect solution to come about. Um, so ideally, right, we would like to have um, basically a van uh, you can pick up um, the bands in uh, and cart them to whichever venue that we're at because I mean I haven't even talked about the venue yet but 
even if the venue is, you know, like perfectly secured and very Corona safe and all of this stuff, if they're still taking buses or trains or something like that, that opens up to the risk on the way there. Um, so we'd like to mitigate that. Um, we can't do that yet. Uh, so they are taking it upon themselves to get there. That's by, it's either a train or a car, so far as I can tell. Um, but then we choose, uh, we, I mean, we work with really pretty much any venue. Um, right now we've been working a lot with El Puente out in Yokohama and then also Earthdom in Shinjuku, both of which are definitely staple, um, like highly respected, very well regarded um, venues in, in kind of the extreme metal and punk uh, scenes of Japan, not just Tokyo, um, which is really an honor. It's very, it's very cool. Especially with regards to um, Earthdom, because that's I've known the I've known the owners for quite some time. Um, the Day's owner Shigi is just like a super wonderful guy. Um, I, I, I love that guy so much, um, but he's not like a famous dude or something like that. Whereas Earthdom is run by Mukai-san, who is the drummer of um, arguably, maybe not the most famous, but probably like top five most famous like old school like OG Japanese hardcore bands. Um, and, and that band is Death Side. So he, that I'm friends with him and stuff. It's always been kind of cool. It's like, you know, Wayne's World, oh, I'm not worthy of this stuff. Um, but that he, I approached him and said, look, I know you're hard up and we've got this thing that like it kind of works, but we're still building it out. But I know you're not doing any shows. And so like, would it be cool if we come in there and film? And he was like, oh no, absolutely. Like, please come do that. Um, so that was, that was very nice. Uh, but, but yeah, it's so we don't have any audiences basically. Um, tonight there was, I actually was not expecting, um, so it wasn't a live stream. Let me back up for a second. Um, it's the, the landscape's very complex and ill defined at the moment, and part of that is being able to find the right words to describe what it is you're doing. Because in both Japanese and in English, when you say live stream, and that can actually mean like a lot of different things, right? Um, what stream itself seems to always be just in the general mind, like the general public's mind, be a live, like simultaneous, like it's happening right now and we're videotaping, like taping it and then immediately uploading it so you're seeing it live kind of thing. That is not the case all the time, obviously. I mean, also linguistically speaking, um, in Japanese, concerts are called daibu. So a live stream could be a concert stream. It could also be a live and simultaneous stream, although they'd probably just say Koji instead of Daibu, if that were the case. So it's kind of very nebulous and ill-defined. Um, and the thing about that is we actually can't do, for the most part um, right now, uh, actual simultaneous <clears throat> um, streams and that that has everything to do with kind of the IT network setups at most Japanese venues. Um, if you've ever been to a show, you'll notice one of two things: either there's an incredibly weak Wi-Fi network that really doesn't work, or there just isn't one, right? <laughs> and so at the moment, we we don't have a network that we can rely on. Um, and so we have to pre-record everything, which is nice because you know we can edit and you know, so it's not like a bad thing. Um, but the streams that are being that we're releasing right now are pre-recorded and edited, um, and so like most of the time, it's 
no audience and just like the owner will be obviously the band's there, my production crew, which is really just a two-man crew um, there. So it maxes out at normally about seven people. This most recent one when we were filming, I was surprised that the band brought a few of their friends along. So we actually had um, kind of an audience, although it wasn't it wasn't like a public, like, come on down sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of what that looked like. Right. All right, so we talked a little bit about the production side. Could we talk a little bit about the business side, you know, tickets and uh, how exactly this all works within regards to business and what's your thoughts on live streaming and streaming as the future of music are? Well, like, it's it's that's one of the more exciting things about it, too. Um, so we work with a company called Zycle, which is a local um, uh, startup, IT startup, um, and they, they handle the streams. <clears throat> Um, and they came from their e-ticketing, but kind of just like venues when coronavirus hit and your business is based off of selling tickets to physical events, like that's not a very good position to be in. Um, and so they pivoted real quickly over to doing this ticketed, uh, streaming stuff, which is great and works really well for us. Um, and the neat thing about that though <clears throat> is so right now, and personally speaking too. I'm not a fan of, of streams. Like, I don't want to sit in front of my computer and watch, like I'll do it, but kind of aggressively. Like, I'm very, I want mosh pits and sweat and beer in the air and all that stuff, right? And obviously sitting in front of a screen, even if you have beer, is not, you know, the same experience. That being said, it's a stopgap and it's kind of the best thing that we currently have um, in order to try to address the situation. So I'm totally willing to accept it, um, explore with it, work with it and all that stuff. Um, but the really cool thing uh, is even if things you know, go back to normal or there's a new normal or I don't know, there's all sorts of ways to talk about how, you know, what the future looks like. If, if and this is a much longer conversation too that I'll try to steer clear of for the moment, um, if like concerts in concert halls like the ones that currently exist, if that starts happening again, um, it's just an added revenue stream, so long as there's a network, right? So you can have, if you can welcome audiences, you can do that and sell the damn thing out too. And then also just charge like 500 yen or something for people who couldn't go or didn't get a ticket or whatever. So really it's just added added revenue. Um, so presumably for kind of, you know, for a long time, I think we're going to be doing it. There's a lot of development um, that needs to be done, systems and whatnot. But I think right now, <clears throat> um, the most important thing too isn't even really the money; it's doing it and showing people the venues, the bands, and the scene and everything. Like, oh, okay, no, this is viable, even if it's like you know, it's not super hot shit right now. But like, we can do it. It is an option. So I think that that's going to open up many more conversations and kind of opportunities for bands and venues and everybody involved in the scene to explore moving forward. So I think that's a really positive element to it as well. All right. So we talked a little bit about Corona Nights, production, the business. So let's uh, let's talk about your personal history. Uh, what got you here? What's your story? And uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit about your history. Um, that's a long story. Let's see. I've been here about nine years, um, over two. This is my second time living in Japan. Um, let's see. I, I mean, I got here in 2009. I moved to Tokyo in 2011 after the tsunami. 
like wiped out my house because I lived up north on the on the coast of Iwate, a place called Nyako. Uh, so I was playing with bands up there in a band called Hack and Strike, which is such a wonderfully like juvenile sounding name to me now. <laughs> um, but then I got down to Tokyo and really pretty quickly started playing in bands. My first band here was a black metal band called Dark Corpse. Um, and that was 2012 or 2013, probably 2012. Um, so that quickly like spun up. We started playing with, I mean, big, big acts. I was, I remember being really starstruck when I first started. I mean, we were playing with Coffins, with Abigail, with that stuff, with, um, you know, a whole bunch of like the leaders of kind of underground extreme metal, which was radical. Um, and so we started, we started gigging a lot, and through that, I learned, kind of cut my teeth on, well, not cut my teeth, but like I was observing how people book gigs, and ended up kind of learning enough to think that I could do this myself when I started booking, um, which uh, is great. I think everybody should do it, but um, it's so goddamn risky, man. Like the way that independent music scenes operate, like in the background, is not ideal <laughs> um, there it is it's full of fail points um, and so I think the reason why one of the many reasons or probably the main reason why um, there aren't there just aren't that many bookers is that it's so risky and like you're literally hanging you know three four thousand dollar bomb around your neck every time you do it and if you've never done it before and you don't know what you're doing and stuff that's like a really expensive potential risk you know, I don't think I had the money, like, if if I didn't sell, like, price it correctly and sell enough tickets, I did not use the money to cover the bill, right, when I first started. And that's, and it's a big bill. Um, so, booking is very, very, like I said, risky. Um, there's a lot of difficulty with it. And that's only, really only due to just, like, this kind of old school DIY behavior that's quite still quite prominent in independent music scenes, and that's worldwide, that's not just Japan. Um, <clears throat> and so after having booked a bunch, and again, I'm also in a band, so I understand how like bands work, I understand how booking and venues work, I understand how advertising and design and all that stuff works. And so kind of putting all that together, it was relatively simple for me to say like, oh, okay, here, here's a list of the things that are not good and how, could we go about trying to make these better? Um, and so that ended up evolving into a whole shit ton of things. Um, at first, our first effort uh, that we're still working on, although we don't have any developers on it at the moment, so it's kind of just sitting there, but we've, we've got a, a databasing methodology and platform um, that tracks uh, what bands, venues, labels, events, audiences and then transportation infrastructure as well as restaurants and bars and stuff and what all this means right is that when you're selling a concert like an in-person concert and especially when you're selling to like a, a group of people right they're not really buying they're buying a whole lot more than just watching somebody on a stage right they're buying a whole they're buying a night experience right so that probably involves going to a bar that probably involves dinner they might be vegetarian where you go to get food like that um, and there's all this stuff in there, right? And so with our database, the goal is that 
with this collated data um, that's been scraped or scraped from various other sources that haven't managed it correctly. We then clean it and then we structure it. And then with that, we can start pinpointing, you know, interesting learning such as somebody wants to book a show on August 8th and it's just a random day that I'm picking. Um, right now, as it stands, you literally just have to call, physically call around to any venue that you think might be open and ask if they're open. And most of them will say no. So you end up spending like two or three days just trying to lock down a venue. And so with our information, we can just have a listing of, oh, on that day, these venues are still open. Please call them. Um, additionally, we can talk about, we get really cool sociological kind of learnings as well, right? Like. Um, there's demographic stuff, but there's also, you know, we can start tagging specific venues as, you know, 90% of their concerts are X genre and 10% are Y and, well, zero is anything else. And really kind of start digging in, kind of structuring the scene itself so that it, it can operate better. Um, uh, so that's a super long-term project that's really interesting, but very slow. We've got a map. I mean, we work with over 3,000 bands, like 850 venues. I think it's like 256 or so concerts on average per year. Uh, the scene is spread across 46 of 47 prefectures. I think um, I think Akita is the only one that we don't have any data for. So it's likely that there's stuff going on. And also, too, like this is us like manually searching all this shit out because most of it hasn't been digitized. So we're definitely missing. Like this is not a complete set that we're working with. Um, that in itself is kind of a longer... Tail. Um, so anyway, from there, we still have that going. But we also realized that, well, geez, we've we've got a really good scheduling service that if and we know how kind of booking tours work for bands works, which means we kind of understand how travel logistics works. Which means what if we made a travel company that was all about getting people from international, like from other countries, over to the Japanese underground scene to experience music so we have that as a service um we have a record label um those are kind of the three major things but i mean we off and now we have like streaming services and stuff we don't charge right now we're not charging anybody um we're basically giving out cuts 35 percent of the revenue goes to the band 35 percent of the proceeds goes to the venue and then 30 percent to us um but we do offer these services as well for anybody that wants to use them um yeah, that's kind of a general overview of sort of all of our crazy, wacky activities. Um, but it's, yeah, it's it's good stuff. I mean, the scene here is so so vibrant and just uh, overflows with creativity and solidarity. And it's just an incredibly positive space. Uh, that has historically gotten, I mean, basically jack shit when it comes to tension in the international scene which is just really fucking annoying, <laughs> right? There, there's no excuse for that. Shit's here, it's good, and yet nobody's accessing it, and so we aim to fix that. I mean, a lot a lot of the music, the styles of music we work to, with, too, are, just, I mean, almost completely dominated by the American and um, Western European scene, which goes without saying is mostly white people. Um, so, the fact that what we've got here, obviously in Asia, but I mean, the Nepalese grindcore scene right now is getting huge press. Um, for what's going on there, the um, Malaysian punk scene, 
Uh, we had some scrams bands come through last year. Uh, what was that one? They were so good. Uh, P Piri Rice, I think P I R I space R E I S, I think is their name. Uh, just blistering, fucking scrams, like really excellent stuff. Um, and so it's, it's just like, what the hell? Why is all of this incredible culture and you know interaction and you know, exchange of ideas. Why is it not getting any attention? Why is it not getting any support? So we kind of aim to do that as best we can, which is probably not all that good, but. <laughs> so having been in the Japan Tokyo scene for as long as you have, uh, who are some of your favorite bands? And if you had to choose, like who would be your favorite band to come out of the Tokyo Japan scene? Um, The one, I mean, there's a bunch. The one that really, well, I mean, shit. It's like self deconstruction. The greb, the grebness is phenomenal. Self deconstruction is like it's interesting. They call themselves avant grindcore, which is totally accurate. Um, I, I've seen them countless times. Wonderful people, and it probably took me like I don't know, ten concerts or something to realize, like, hey, wait a minute, these are songs that they're playing. I've heard that riff. I haven't heard. Oh my god, I can actually finally start understanding, like. They're not just playing random noise and screaming over it. They've actually rehearsed this stuff, um, which I, the only other time I remember thinking that was way back in the day that I started listening to the Boston hardcore band Converge. Um, so they're, yeah, self-deconstruction is phenomenal. Um, Glevna, G-U-E-V-N-N-A, uh, is like, they're kind of morphing over the years, but... I mean, it's like doom or hard rock, but then they also throw in like really, really dancey beats. So they used to call themselves disco doom, um, which is a name that I loved, but they don't use that anymore. Um, but they're excellent people. Their front man, Yo, uh, used to be uh, uh, Coffins' drummer. Um, his current drummer, uh, Timmy, is also the drummer for Holy Grave, uh, who is kind of a very well-respected and long-lasting um, grindcore band. Um, Sendai uh, has uh, both band Taste, um, who I don't even really like Tech Death very much. Although every time I say that, then I think about my favorite death metal bands, and I realize pretty much all of them are Tech Death metal bands. <laughs> so I'm not actually sure what my opinion on Tech Death is. Um, but Taste um, from Sendai is really phenomenal stuff. And then um, quite possibly one of the most, this, the band that sticks out most for me, at least right now, and is also very relevant for coronavirus, I think, is a band also in Sendai called Degrebness. Uh, that's B-E-G-R-A with an umlaut, uh, which I guess is German for like a specific type of funeral. Um, but they play, they're a funeral doom band, um, and just, man, their sound is massive and just, it's, it stops you in your tracks, man. Um, their performances are really, she has like some really, like really excellent, I don't, I don't want to call them costumes because that sounds like playful or something, but like her stage presence is frightening. Um, to say the least, really powerful stuff. Um, speaking of Funeral Doom, there's also Funeral Moth, uh, based out of Zushi over in Kamigawa. Um, that's run by Makoto. He also runs um, uh, Weird Truth Records, which is a pretty excellent um, Doom 
mostly Doom uh, record label that he runs. Um, there's Fry Hiddings Hid out of uh, Shizuoka City that really have some just like painful, like shrieking second wave black metal um, that is really very excellent. Their vocalist is properly like he, he reminds me of you know like Dead from Mayhem or something. Uh, he's a real performer. Um, yeah, I mean, there's like I said, we work with over three thousand bands. Like the scene is huge, um, so there's I, I can definitely say that I do not know my favorite band. That's that's a ridiculous question to even ask. I think just because there's like seriously anybody in the Japanese scene, like your cup overfloweth. <laughs> like you are surrounded by supreme creativity and super open-minded, um, and yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, those are some amazing recommendations that I hope everyone definitely uh, dips into after this. And uh, so we've talked about other people's music. Uh, so let's delve into a little bit of your own band's music. You are the rhythm guitarist of the band Worship Pain. Could you just tell us a little bit about your band? What's your influences? What is it you guys are doing? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's in a sense, it's a little bit of like an inside joke super group. <laughs> Um, in that me and the drummer have played in a number of bands together. We were in Dark Corpse and Wretch together as well. <clears throat> um, and then the uh, vocalist and bassist and guitarist. So the vocalist plays bass as well, and then there's the guitarist, or the lead guitarist. Um, I'm Rhythm. Um, they have been in a bunch of bands together themselves. Uh, Black Line Fever, Funeral Sutra is one very notable one. Um, and, and both of us, so there's me and the drummer, and then the other the other guys, um, or uh, Paul and Jordan. Um, yeah, like we've, we've always been in black metal bands and just kind of never played together. And then I left Japan and, and uh, our drummer, Tom, joined up with, with um, actually it was the two Toms from Wretch originally. There's drummer Tom and then there's British Tom who was the guitarist. And so it was a four person band. Um, Tom, British Tom moved out of the country and stopped playing with him. So then it became three piece. Then I moved back to Japan um, and they approached me uh, to, to join. And that was in, when was that? Like October, maybe? Probably earlier than that. Maybe like August or September, probably of last year. Um, and so we were practicing for, like, I was, I was learning all of uh, painting for, for, you know, a month or um, and then we started gigging. Uh, let's see, I, we've only played two shows together. The first one was at um, Moonstep in Nakano, and that was February. When was that? It was like mid. Oh, I think it was February 22nd. The same day. Um, and I, the only reason I remember that is there was a work thing that I had the day before. So that was a ridiculous 48 hours for me. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so we did that, and then like a week or two later, we had a show over at um, Pit Bar in Nishiogiko Bowl, uh, which was good. And then coronavirus happened. <laughs> so we, let's see, the band, the three of them have got, because they were kind of the core songwriters and are, are getting stuff together. So they just started practicing, like, well, I guess last week. Um, is when things 
gotten moving again. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. And it's I mean it's kind of black metal, but it's not. There's like definitely some rock and roll in there. Um, yeah, so I I think frequently it's referred to as like black and roll or something like that. I would say it's also not that, but I mean there's a lot of rock and roll influences. There's a lot of black metal influences. And then there's like our experiences also influencing everything else they tend to do. All right, everybody. That was my interview with Matt. You can check out his band's music at Worship Pain. And also you can check out Kala on Facebook. K-A-A-L-A. Kala. That's going to wrap it up for the first episode of the Gotham to Tokyo podcast. I have been your host, Tony, and I'm going to leave you this episode with one last song. This is from legendary Japanese power violence band, Fuck on the Beach. This is Never No Skin Fuck. See you guys next time.